Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening, another Thursday evening, where we will continue to uh, probe what is both in your heart and in your mind. As I talked about it last week, really, my responding to your question is going to be only as good as you ask me questions. Those questions that are in both your mind and heart. And as I say that, a couple of days ago, what did I say? But this evening is going to be a kind of uh, part two, right? This special topic Thursday is in many ways going to be a part two to last week. Why? Well, tonight I'm going to answer two questions that will really either directly or indirectly reference last week's program that had us reflecting into the deeper meaning of Christmas and really the wider impact of Christ upon the world. These are the kinds of things that certainly many of us are thinking about this holiday season. So the questions are as follows. Where did we get our dating system? Okay, B-C-A-D or B-C-E-C-E, we'll talk about that. And can you speak to the relevance of Christ and today's calendar? Now, to get at answering those questions, I will be pulling from an article written by one Father Victor Feltis, an article that was written on NewAdvent.org titled, Jesus Christ at the Center of History. As Father Victor reflects, and I really do uh, want to encourage you to, to go to this article on NewAdvent.org. It is, it is a good article. And he kind of sets out um, initially to say, if you had walked through the streets of Bethlehem or Rome asking people on the first Christmas Eve, what year is this? The answer you would hear might vary. Now, why would he say this? Well, as the sun numbers our days and the, the, the moon tracks our months and the seasons indicate the passage of years, in the end, answering that question requires what but people to make reference to some shared historical event. And my friends, this point is invaluable because it lends itself to the reality that there was one event that we all share in common, and that, of course, is the event of the birth of Christ. Now, as I say that, we should hit the pause button here, as Father Victor does, and kind of reflect a little bit into what it means to say that within a culture there is a shared historical common point. If you had bumped into one of the ancient world's many sports fans on the first Christmas Eve, they might have told you that it was the third year of the 194th Olympiad, right? Historically speaking, this would have been a common point of reference for the ancient world, right? Why? Because every four years, famous athletic competitions were held where but in Olympia, Greece, where freeborn Greek men would compete in, in foot races and chariot races and wrestling matches and, and javelin tosses and the like to honor the Greek god Zeus. And as they would do this over time, this became a point of reference. Remember the first Olympiad? This is the third year of the 194th Olympiad, right? It was their common point of reference. It was, if you will, 
their shared historical point in history. In another case, if you maybe had run into a merchant on the first Christmas Eve who, who used the Roman coins and roads to trade goods, he might have said something like, this is the 752nd year since the founding of the city of Rome. Considering the wealth and, and influence of Rome at that time, certainly that might have seemed like, a, like an empire that would have lived and reigned in the world without end. So sure, let's highlight the first year of Rome as our common point. Okay, so as a culture, we kind of look for that shared historical point, and we go from there. But, my dear friends, as both you and I know, uh, as it relates to both Greece and Rome, these civilizations did not withstand the test of time. We know about them for sure, right? I mean, we can go to Greece and we can go to Rome today, but at best, we will only be able to see their ruins as tourists. So, for all the glamour that the ancient Olympics in Rome had in its day, who would have thought on Christmas Eve, some 2,018 years ago, a baby would have been born into the universe and, my dear friends, become the center of human history? Well, <laughs> as I noted last week, very few, but only maybe the few who were humble enough to be drawn to the manger. All right, so with that, where in history did we come up with our dating of not so much BCE and CE, that was a change that came in the mid-90s, which we will talk about here in a bit, but BC and AD. Well, it was in the year we know today as 525 that a new way of numbering years was introduced by a monk named Dionysius the Humble. You see, my friends, Dionysius the Humble numbered years using what but our Lord's birth our Lord's birth as the starting point. This now became, after the fall of Rome, the shared common point. He named it 1 AD. What is AD? AD stands for the Latin phrase uh, Anno Domini, which translates as in the year of our Lord. 1 AD was dubbed the first year of our Lord on earth. So then today, again, is currently what? But December 28th in the 2017th year after the birth of Christ. Now, today's science suggests that while Dionysius estimated the time of Jesus' birth as best as he could, he may have been a little bit off. Uh, there might be better evidence out there that suggests Jesus was actually born in uh, 2 or 3 BC. Regardless, it is most fitting that we mark and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ as the what but center of human history because he is that one figure who, again, is our shared common point of history. My dear friends, history does not spring forth from non-event. How have I spoken to this before? If you were to look at the word history itself, the, the Latin historia, historia, it best translates as pattern or to weave a pattern. Okay, so history itself has this kind of seamless pattern. If you want to get to know any historical event, don't just go to that specific time in history, but go within the many days uh, to whatever culture or, or point of history that you are studying and see what was encircling that one event. See what happened before and see what happened after. And what you will begin to see is this kind of pattern. 
this kind of picture coming into view. And if it is real history, actual history, authentic history, it will not be a picture that is disjunctive or off, right? No, but something that is clear. And uh, dare I say, when it comes to the context of God working in history, true, good, and beautiful. Now, as we speak to this, certainly we should add, (laughs) Christ's holy kingdom has outlasted, of course, the Greeks, Romans, and every other powerful secular kingdom that we have read about in our history books. In point of fact, it was Albert Einstein who who once stated, and and I want to say I first heard this from uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Um, He was talking about his admiration for the church, and he says, Only the church, who stood squarely across the path of Hitler's campaign for suppressing truth, overcame such hostility. He goes on, I never had any special interest in the church before, church capital C, but now I feel a great affection and admiration for the church because the church alone has had the courage and persistence to stand for intellectual truth and moral freedom. I am thus forced to confess that what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. Isn't that interesting? Brothers and sisters, we will always have Christ in common. Because just when you think you have stamped him out, what happens? He gets stronger. Because every time you think Christianity will be stamped out, someone will rise up in the Spirit of God And there you will see the church grow. What was that great line that comes to us from Tertullian? But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of our faith. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of our faith. Once you plant that seed of martyrdom, what you will have is a church that will grow. So the moment you put someone to death for their belief in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will gain more followers. This is a powerful testimony the powerful testimony of Christian history, and really, my friends, why it withstands the test of time itself. It is just not enough that God entered history and he now becomes our shared common point, but really, that once you try to remove him from history, he never goes away. Greece, Rome, and other pagan civilizations, even up to and through the 20th century and 21st century, huh? They fade. As much as we try to remove Christ from our stream of consciousness is when he will get stronger. Because the more you try to stamp him out, the louder the voice becomes, at least culturally speaking. I love to share the encounter that I had when I was attending Chico State back in, oh, I believe it was 94, where I still recall my Western Civ professor strolling late into class. And he gave his reason. I just left a meeting in which I found out history books will no longer be using B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini. Now our timelines will be using not B.C., but B.C.E., and not A.D., but C.E. B.C.E., of course, standing for Before Common Era and C.E., Common Era. And he continued, This is in the effort to be more tolerant of those who do not believe in Christ. And I still recall to this day, uh, my initial question was prompt. I mean, how do you reconcile the person of Jesus Christ 
who still intersects our timeline determining what is BCE and CE, right? He had no response. Again, my friends, history does not spring forth from non-event. That being said, it is here, out from responding to your initial questions, where I would like to reflect into the reality of the Incarnation with a question. And uh, here again is probably where we will get into some subject matter that we talked about last week. How do we think about time? And how do we allow how we think about time to impact our spiritual life? Well, first we do have to regard that more classical sense of how we think about time. In principle, there are those two Greek words we spoke of last week, chronos and kairos. I think by putting it into the context of chronos and kairos, we can begin to internalize how we approach time, the the two different modes of thinking about time. Chronos includes what but the minutes we put into our iPads and and iPhones, regulated by the 24-hour days, seven-day weeks, and 365-day years, right? This is chronos, our timelines, chronology, the study of what is linear, the study of what is horizontal. Kairos, my friends, on the other hand, is the appointed time for the purposes of God, essentially graced time. The incarnation, what we just celebrated on Christmas Day, is Kairos entering into Kronos. Thus, how we consider man's time, Kronos, should always be seen in light of what? God's time, Kairos. But here is where we need to kind of push a little bit. How does one acquire such a vision of seeing time this way, but of course through prayer. And dare I say, as James said in chapter 5, verse 16, fervent prayer, prayer with a sense of urgency, purposeful prayer, if you will, especially the prayer of the Eucharist, the prayer of intimate courtship. Speaking of time, by the way, my friends, I was reflecting into this point in my book, A Heart for Evangelizing, And it was there where I made the point, if you were to take all of the priests in the whole world, and I think they number currently somewhere around 360-some thousand, and begin to kind of draw that out in seconds and minutes and hours in a day, if the priest said Mass every day, as he should, that means the Eucharist is consecrated four times every second of every day. Four times every second of every day. That, to me, my friends, is so powerful. Wow. Now, as I speak to the Eucharist, where Jesus Christ enters into a bridal union with our very souls, here here I, in the Catholic Church, speaks to that prayer of intimate courtship. Could we not say that so much can be learned from thinking of our relationship with God analogously to our human relationships? Courtship always entails a what but falling in love. When one is falling in love, we often hear the phrase, what, but time stands still. A way of communicating how everything kind of slows down or comes to a stop. Conventional thinking of time goes out the door, right? As we go deeper in our courtship with God in the Eucharist and fall more in love with Christ, 
could we not then say things will begin to slow down and we will see as we ought? Brothers and sisters, in the Eucharist, the horizontal, that is chronos, and vertical, that is kairos, beams meet in the most profound way because the reality of the cross is made present, but again, in the Eucharist. That is to say, Christ's sacrifice is represented on the altar. What's more, as time begins to stand still for us, we will experience the genesis of our new beginning, the win, if you will, our iPhones and iPads become subject to kairos, become subject to the sacramental life of the church. So it is that the sacrifice of the Mass really does open us up to kairos and begin to inform and form chronos to its best use. Kairos, God's appointed time, that, that purpose-driven time, that grace time, not chronos, ought to give order to our days. And no matter what acronym we choose to dot our times with, whether it be B.C. and A.D. or B.C.E. and C.E., this will never change. Jesus is at the center of our timelines, and we should ultimately make him the center of our lives. So as we ask the questions, where did we get our dating system, and, and can you speak to the relevance of Christ in the calendar, what does it all come back to but relationship? How we live with one foot here on earth in time and one foot pointing or walking towards heaven out of time. How we live in both Kronos and Kairos, allowing Kairos, the foot that leads to inform Kronos. Huh? I just spoke of prayer and the importance of prayer. How do we define prayer? Prayer is conversation with God, right? This intimate conversation with God. Maybe here we could kind of close with a very practical reflection. And, and this, again, is very specific to how we think about time. How many minutes are in a day? I think that math is actually, what, 1,440 minutes in a day? What are we doing with our time? Huh? What are we doing with our time? Well, what did I say last week? Have we not been given the gift of time, Right? Have we not been given the gift of the present moment? What did Benedict XVI say? The greatest gift that we have is what? But the present moment. Huh? The present moment in time. Once we come to understand, my friends, that the present moment is that very thing, a present, a gift, then I think we will embrace time for what it is. Again, we are on the heels of Christmas Day. And I'll tell you what. As a father, there are very few things that I revel in more than seeing my kids not only love their siblings, but revel in the gifts that they receive from their siblings. I love to see them make sacrifices for their siblings, but I tell you what, my friends, there's something to be said about the reception of a gift and how they embrace that gift. It really, this brings us back to the Trinity. I, I don't want to get too abstract here in this reflection or, or chase the rabbit in the hole, but there is a relevant and pertinent reflection here. How have we talked about the Trinity? Love given, love received, love shared. If we are going to experience, if we are going to encounter the Trinity as not some abstract solitude, but as a unity in distinction that is about love, 
we should not only appreciate how love is a gift, but also how that gift is received. Love given, love received, and ultimately how that gift is shared, right? Love shared. As a father, I revel in seeing my children embrace their gifts, especially those gifts that come to them from their siblings, or maybe a gift that comes to them from someone who made a sacrifice for them. And when I see them embrace that gift, for all that that gift is, it is not only a joy for me as a father, but there is something profound happening in the actual embrace of the gift, right? So when we talk about the gift of time, let us put it in the context of truly embracing a gift like, my friends, maybe a gift that we absolutely embraced and loved. Let the gift of time be that very gift that we have embraced and loved in the past. When we do that, then time will begin to receive its proper shape and dimension. Not only is something linear, but at the same time, something vertical. Not something that is reduced to our chronology, but something that is always caught up in chirology or the study of God's time, purpose-driven time, grace time. Another point I had made last week, and I kind of left it underdeveloped, but if you're to go into the story of creation and the creation of days, if you get into that Hebrew, what is the Hebrew word for day? Yom. That which is not measured by clocks, but purpose. Purpose. Do we kill time? Or do we embrace time as a gift? Do we see time as something we should treasure? Treasure as a gift from God. And as such, to embrace it, to receive it properly, is to then have what? But God rejoicing. God rejoices when we embrace our gifts. And oh, brothers and sisters, I feel very confident that God is up there in heaven rejoicing as he looks down upon us when we embrace our gifts. So again, let us embrace that gift, the gift of time, and see that as we are thinking about time in these days that have us now moving forward towards New Year's Day and our New Year's resolutions, right? Let us be thinking about the gift of time. And that our New Year's resolutions be something that are resolved in that which is spiritual. Yes, New Year's resolutions that have us going to the gym, those are great. But don't reduce our resolve to that which is exclusively physical. In point of fact, let me challenge you this evening. Give yourself some time to think about a New Year's resolution that would have you thinking about the spiritual life the spiritual life in greater depth. You know, the word resolution comes from the Latin resolutio. It it literally means to loosen. So yeah, we make our New Year's resolutions where we seek to uh, loosen our belts, right? But what about that weight on our shoulders that we carry? Should we not loosen that weight? What are those relationships that uh, have us by the jugular, that make life very difficult? Loosen that forgive. Boy, there's a New Year's resolution. Forgive the person that you're struggling to forgive. Brothers and sisters, as we close our evening 
Let me leave you with that. Maybe you're not ready to do that, but pray to God, turn to God, ask Him for the grace to help you break free from those bonds that are tying you down. And if it is, in fact, the lack of forgiveness in your heart, pray for the grace. I really, I really encourage you to pray for the grace to forgive, that your relationship might be restored. Huh? Okay. All right. With that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of time, this theme that has really emerged over the past few weeks in this holiday season that we might see, yes, holidays are about holy days and days are made more holy as we embrace your gift of time. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.